Man, I keep thinking at some point in time, your guys' prayer life is going to get caught up so that way Pastor Jake will not keep getting sick so you don't have to hear me. But at some point in time, y'all are going to have to pick up the pace a little bit here, okay? So today, um, I had a little bit more notice to, to get ready for today, so I've thought a lot about what we were going to talk about today. And I've got really good news and kind of a little bit of bad news. Um, as my English teachers would have told me in school, this is like a run-on sentence. It never kind of ends. But there's only one subject for the day. So like a lot of like your good preachers, like Larry will do tonight, he'll probably have like three points. I only have one. It's just kind of a little bit of a long one. Okay? So I promise, as usual, if you will listen fast, I will talk fast, and you guys can get on to Sunday school and, and be ready and, and promptly on time. But uh, the title for today would be He Is, and that's it. That's just He Is. Um, because everything that we look at, um, what I talked about the last time that I was here about six weeks ago, um, and every story that we read about in the Bible, uh, it's all for one purpose. And that's just that He Is. So... I want to talk about a couple of different things, but I've got a really funny story about mistaken identity first. Has anybody ever found themselves in a position where you were talking to someone and then it clicked, oh, this is the person, or that's the person that I'm talking about, or this involves them, or whatever? Has anybody ever had that awkward feeling? Some of y'all are lying, the rest of y'all are, Okay. So at some point in time, we've all found ourselves in this nervous sweat of, oh, uh, what do I do now? Because I've opened my mouth, I've said something, I've done something, whatever, and we get really, really nervous, okay? Well, I have a story, and some of the kids in this room have heard this story before, and I will make you feel a little bit better, okay? But the reason we're going to talk about mistaken identities is because sometimes I feel like we have a mistaken identity of who God is, Okay? So, uh, rewind, uh, not quite 20 years ago, but pretty close to it. Uh, my wife and I are, are new, newlyweds, and we take off to St. Louis, and we're going to watch the, uh, the motocross, it's called the X Games, where they do all kinds of backflips and crazy stunts on motorcycles right in front of you, and somehow they live. So it's kind of a, a pretty cool thing to watch, you know, and so we take off, and we decide that we're going to ride the tram across the river, because parking was kind of tight for where we were going to go. So we get on this tram, we ride over, we watch it. It's like midnight, 1230, something like that, when we get out of there. As we get on this little tram, I look, and about 10 to 15 feet in front of me, I know there's a boy that I used to ride, race four-wheelers with that's sitting right there with his wife. We're all standing. And so we're the outcasts on this train headed back to East St. Louis, if you can imagine with where I'm at here, okay? So as I look forward... There's four of us that look like we kind of maybe even belong together. And I know in the back of my mind, this looks like the back of his head. That looks just like the back of his wife's head, which they had just gotten married not too long before as well. So I'm like, I'm going to have a little fun. It's midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to have a little fun with this. So I reach up and go right on his old butt cheeks. And as he turns around to look me in the eye, my face says 100%, you're not who I thought you were. <laughs> now, thankfully, this guy has a sense of humor. Thankfully, 
I think my face explained enough. I clearly did not intend to offend a complete and total stranger. Because I think probably as I kind of shrunk and melted into this little puddle of my only friend on this train I've just offended, this is going to be the longest 12 minutes of a 15-minute tram ride that you'll ever experience in your life. And so in that moment, I've used that a lot because a lot of times kids will do funny things. Like, hey, I've probably got a story that tops this because I feel as awkward and I still to this day remember how like I almost had like this nervous sweat coming back today thinking about how nervous I was in that moment. So I say that just because I feel like a lot of the times in our life, um, we've watched the, the TV show before, like the undercover boss, where the, the, the individual that has been hired to do a job uh, gets mad and fires the owner. It's a little awkward. As a farmer, as somebody that likes to hunt, I've been had people to try to run us off of our own ground. That gets a little awkward at times. Because so many times we get so consumed with what's right here and right now that we don't see the big picture. And what I want us to just think about, just for a few minutes today, uh, like I said, I promise I'll talk fast if you listen fast, um, is the big picture. What are we doing here in the big picture? So we're going to start off, I've got quite a bit of scripture, uh, but I'm actually going to try to go through it pretty quick so that like, way, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this uh, fairly reasonably quick. Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came, <clears throat> my eyes, as, as the longer I go, the more my eyes fail me. So everything gets really blurry. My wife tells me I might have to go see Weinbauer and get some cheaters, but we're going to keep working on this because I'm hard-headed. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and in a flame of a fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place and take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you, where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So we've heard lots of stories about Moses. What just happened right there? Don't get me wrong. When you see something burning and you get a little closer to it and it starts talking to you, I understand why you're a little afraid. It's understandably so. But Moses, as great of the things as what Moses did, he was still afraid as soon as he heard voices, as soon as he said, hey, this guy in the bush knows who I am. He was afraid to go any farther. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit farther into Exodus here, into 20. Starting in 18. <clears throat> now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, the flashes, and the sound of the trumpet, uh, and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, 
for God has something has has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin so the people stood afar off but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was point of this is is most generally when we find out a little bit more about who God is we get a little bit scared because we really don't know what it's going to entail. We don't know what he's going to expect of us. We don't know what he's going to ask of us. And so every time that I feel like most of the time in our life, every time that we get a little bit closer to where God wants us to be, we're just like the children of Israel. Like, I just don't want to get too close. God, you can have me to hear. I just don't want to go a little bit closer because just like they said, lest we might die. So, I mean, they, they stood back and they said, hey, Moses, You've already met with him. You've already talked with him. So if you don't care, you be the mediator. Most of us that are sitting in this chair love the fact that Jake puts a whole lot of time into putting a sermon together so that way we can hear what God has in store for us without having to dive in uh, and, and dig for ourselves. That's who we are. That's who we are naturally. It's not that we're trying to be that person. That's the natural person that we, uh, that we draw to ourselves to. But the question is, why are we afraid? Is it because of his power? Or is it because of our weakness? Because see, the reality is, is, the closer somebody gets to me, the more of my garbage that they know. And the other reality is, is he already knows all of my garbage. So if I know that he knows who I am, I can't lie to myself, I can't lie to you about who I am or who I'm not. He already knows. And furthermore, I'm also a little bit afraid that whenever I get a little closer to him, he's going to ask me to give up that guilty pleasure, or he's going to ask me to, to give up what I really like in my comfort zone, and he might ask me to, to go do something that I'm not really comfortable doing. That's really what this all comes down to. And so because of we're afraid of what tomorrow might hold if we get a little too close, we're a lot more comfortable just staying right here in this little comfort zone and not drawing a little too close to him. So as I shared this horribly um, embarrassing story uh, about myself, I said that because I want you to know when it comes to dumb things, I've probably done most of the ones you can think of. And somehow I survived out of it. It's not about the person. Whenever we read every story that we read in this book, there's one common denominator. Anybody know what it is? When we, when we read about Daniel, when we read about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, when we read about Noah, Moses, all these famous heroes of the Bible, what do they have one thing in common of? They said yes, and they allowed God to use them. In spite of them, they said yes. King David. King David is not a nice guy. We just read for the last couple of years uh, about who King David was. You should all know very well um, some, of the, some of the horrible things of what King David did. He wasn't a great guy, but yet he was used for great things. His lineage is, is a, a very powerful part of what our testimony and our salvation looks like. So when you think about that, it's not anything to do with the person that draws near to God. It's all to do with who God is. That's why the 
the title this morning would be He Is. And that, that's it. That's all we have to know. So whenever we go through a time of hurt, what is He to you? This is where you're going to have to be interactive again. You talk, I talk, we get over. When you go through a time of, of hurt, what is He to you? Comfort. What's some other names? I've got, a, I've got a whole list if I have to read them, but I'd much rather you guys participate here. What? Hope? Something else. Healer. Sorry, I'm half deaf. What? Protector. Let's keep going. There's lots of, lots and lots of options here. What else is he? Counselor. Something else. Savior. Oh. My friend. Strength. See, the great thing is, is when we look at who he is, any time that we're in need, he's also that same God when we act like we are in need. The only difference is that so many times when we experience a need, we open ourselves up to him. When Moses allowed himself to be found at the burning bush, Moses was looking for something. He needed to talk to God. The people, the children of Israel, yeah, they needed to hear from God, but they didn't really want to put themselves in the position. So, Moses, if you don't care, we've got somebody that will go in between for us. So if you don't care, you, you go take care of the messenger work. So what about on the, in the good days, the days that we feel like we maybe don't have to have as much help? Who is he in your life? You what? He's still the same. You mean he never changes? So no matter where we stand with God, he doesn't change. Absolutely. He's the only thing that in our life that is 100% constant, but also is also alive and moving. So he's a strong tower that stands right here that says, you come to me and I will give you rest. You come to me and I will sustain you. I will give you anything that you need. Not everything you want, but anything that you need to get through today. However, in our weakest moment over here in the corner, he comes and rescues. It's hard for us to fathom a God that can sit still and still be everywhere at the same time. Because for myself, I love my family with everything that I have. But unfortunately, I still let them down. I try with everything that I have not to let them down, but I'm still going to. Do you know why? It's who we are. We're every person that the Bible reads about here that says, hey, he did a great thing, but he still messed up over here. Because we're all fallen. Because there's only one that's perfect, right? So let's think about this for a second. If there's only one that's perfect, there's only one that can sustain us, that can save us, that can do all these things for us. Think about all the things that he does for us and, and the power and the majesty of it. The fact that he never changes, but yet he's always there being whoever he needs to be at that moment. So six weeks ago, today, um, I feel like I had been under quite a bit of uh, a pressure because I don't know why, but I felt like that was a, uh, a hard sermon for me to put together. And within minutes of us leaving here, um, our son was involved in a, in a little bit of a wreck. And every person that I've talked to 
since that day, especially when they see pictures, when a side-by-side -side gets T-boned by a half-ton four-wheel drive pickup truck, normally the side-by-side -side doesn't come out looking too good, and the person in it doesn't either. And I've had lots of people say that, you know, there's, uh, it's a miracle and there's, it's a blessing, and absolutely, I believe all of that 100%. Um, but I also think that so many times we don't give him credit for at the same moment that Satan is trying to steal our joy from doing what we're supposed to do, God says, okay, as the truck comes by, stop. This is not going to happen. Not on my watch. And that's power. That's a sustaining power. The breath that we get, the life that we get to give, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the afternoon. So how does he do that in spite of us? It's because he has a love that's above what we can comprehend. Everything that we know, everything that we read in this Bible is because he's more than what we can put words into. Uh, there's a popular song on the radio right now called Gratitude. And the I, I probably ought to just read it because I will get a little goofy here if I don't. Got a little po or a little few notes here of probably fast forwarding because I'm not real good with, with notes if you haven't noticed. Well, I'm not finding it, so maybe I forgot. To, maybe I took it out. But the 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 way that the song starts, all my words fall short. In in all of our trying to describe who God is, our words don't do it justice. So if I'm trying to describe how great and how big and how powerful that He is, there's not a word to use. We've we've sung a song since I was about yay tall of an awesome God. And that's, that's a great song, but it doesn't do justice. Because if my version of awesome is a worldly version, his version of awesome is out of our imagination. So to think that he is all things all the time really isn't that hard to comprehend if you know the depth of who he is and how far it goes. And so in that song of gratitude, all my words fall short, I have nothing new. Because I can't create anything. He can create life. He can create life. He can sustain us. He can, he can give us anything and everything that we need like that. So what do I have to give back to him? Nothing. I have nothing new that I can't give back to him. That's kind of a stretch to try to show your gratitude to somebody that already has everything. However... The one thing, the free will that we have is the one thing that we have access to to give him that he doesn't command into action. He loves us enough to say that I'm going to let you either choose me or not. That's power. That's love to say what I create, what I have poured my, my heart and my soul into to say, okay, now I'm going to set it free. And if they choose to come back, then that just shows that they really do love me. But if they don't, I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to provide for them so many opportunities. That's a power and that's a love that I can't comprehend. Because most of us, whenever we get goosed on that tram, our, our first reaction is, I'm about ready to take somebody's lights out. Like, it's, it's over. But we're given a grace because what we do every day is we insult him. We deprive him of who he's created us to be every day. And every day he still allows us to be a part of that. Let's go to um, 
next verses there. So in 6, this is the, the main thing I want to hit here in Ezekiel here is just in, I'll, I'll read all of it for you, but in 37, 1 through 14, it says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought, out, brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord and sat down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all, or then he, then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many open in the valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, These dry bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put on sinews on you and bring flesh upon you cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, then you shall know that I am the Lord. This whole verse right here is to point back to one thing. And I think so many times in our life, the things that we get to witness, it's just to prove to us that I'm God. Whenever he spoke and Moses, or I'm sorry, whenever he spoke and Lazarus came out of the grave, that instant, how many people witnessed that? They knew something had to be different. When we witness firsthand hard times or exceedingly good times, do we automatically go back to, this is why I know that God loves me? Or do we go back to, this is maybe my hard work, my work ethic, or whatever that is? Or is this just a random chance? Do we actually give him credit for everything that he is in our life? And so, as you think about that, as we know who we are, and more importantly, probably who we aren't, but who he is, it's kind of like, has anybody ever had, um, I'm not a tea drinker, but has anybody ever ordered sweet tea and got unsweet tea? Do what? Well, but, but, but the ingredient of sugar changes things, right? Have you ever ordered a Mountain Dew and got a diet Mountain Dew? That's more along my style. Um, he's the ingredient that automatically, and just like uh, she said, Karen said, uh, whether it's in or whether it's out, you know immediately when you're planning on the other one if it's there or if it isn't. And that's kind of the way our lives should be. When every one of us leaves a sanctuary, it should be that we have a sweet enough vibe or it should be that we have enough of a smile on our face or enough of a helping hand that we give that we kind of ooze out this, there's somebody different. And I don't understand why, but I just know that as a lost person, I can look at them and say, there's something different about that individual. The last night of church camp at Goshen Trail, um, a lady gave her testimony, it would be Vicki Hobbs, and Vicki Hobbs's family has a pretty big part in my testimony because her husband was my pastor whenever I got saved. And so he was the one that read me through the Roman road. And, and so as she shared her testimony, then I did not know this. Uh, this is something that just kind of come to completion here pretty, pretty recently. There was an individual that invited her husband to church every day that they worked together. 
So Nancy Colbert, every day that she would see Roger Hobbs at school, would say, hey, missed you Sunday at church. Hey, missed you Sunday at church. You going to be there this Sunday? Did that for like three years. So finally, Roger, almost in a fit of rage, said, I don't care what we have to do. I'm going to show up to that stinking church one way or the other because I'm sick of this lady asking why I wasn't at church. And they got saved. And I think of how many times our lives are changed because one person was faithful here to another, to another, to another. By the time that we get down to here, I've went several years of my life knowing Nick and Nancy as some of the sweetest people and that I would literally do anything in the world for. And they had a big effect on the discipleship of me. But I had no idea that essentially my roots were linked back to them in other ways as well. And so I just think as, as we look at this, and this isn't about exemplifying them, this is about the simple fact that no matter who we are, we can be used if we'll just allow it. So every person that we read about in this Bible can be used, and it's all to say, so that you will know that I am God. And if you know that I am God, those around you will know that I am God as well. So who is God? We, we told you a few options there. Uh, some, of the, or some of the things that I put down here, we've already hit some of them. Creator, sustainer, savior, provider, protector, everlasting, alpha, omega, Jehovah, living God, Jesus, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, Holy Spirit, he's righteousness, he's redeemer. Uh, we sing a song a lot in the youth group called The Great I Am. Um, it's, it, it's endless. If it's good, his name can be associated with it. But somebody that I don't feel like we probably give him credit for is sometimes I feel like he can be a bit of a thief. It's a good thief, but it's a thief. So whenever I give him my heart, whenever I give him my everything, I'm still a dirty scoundrel, and I still know what I did yesterday and the day before. And Even though I have a bad memory, I still remember all the things that I wish I wouldn't have done. I might not remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I still remember the day that I hurt somebody or I offended somebody or, or whatever that is, and, and I wish that I could wash that away. And you know, the amazing thing is, he steals so much of our shame without us even knowing it. And so you would never expect, and I don't want anybody to go home and say, Brian said that Jesus was a thief. Well, yes and no. But the reality is, is he stole something from me that I deserve that he didn't deserve. And he replaced it because of grace. He replaced it with a blessing, with joy, with peace. And that's something that can't be topped by anybody anywhere under the sun. So whenever I draw close to him, just like Moses did to the fire, when I draw close to him, it's kind of like the... The re, I guess I'll put it this way. For people that, that work out in the cold, when you work in the cold, do you really get cold if you're working? That's where you participate once again. How about for people that deer hunt in the cold? Do you ever get cold? Debbie Johnson's with me. Yeah, you're with me too. Okay, so when I'm, when I'm cold in a deer stand, my feet are numb, my hands are numb, my nose turns numb, I get miserable, I get cranky. All I really want to do is go back and eat breakfast and take a nap. However, the same temperature 
If I'm actually working, doing something with my hands, the byproduct of me working is I stay warm. It's kind of that way with God. When we're in the waiting, when we're in the setting, when we're doing nothing, we can find all these reasons why we're not able to do something or why we're uncomfortable or why we don't want to. But most generally, if we would just shut up, put our nose down to the ground and get back to work, we would find ourselves with a joy. We would find ourselves with a peace that comes from drawing near to him. And that's something that can't be replicated out of any self-help book or any um, pep talk that you want to listen to. That's something that comes from him and only him. So as we draw near to him, one of the best things, the the highest jobs that we can do here um, on this earth is to be nothing but a vessel. And a vessel, I like dirt work. I'm weird, okay? I like dirt work. I will be driving down the interstate and we will see somebody that has just done a traco job on a dish. I'm like, that's a good looking levy. Nobody in the room understands that. My wife doesn't understand that either. I understand. But like, I will look at him like, somebody did a lot of work making that look really, really nice. I like woodwork. I like metalwork. And so whenever I see things like that, I'm like, how much time went into this? The stained glass. I, I love evaluating how much time went into them. And as I look at that and I evaluate that, and I know, like I said, I know I'm a little bit, a lot on the weird side. But as I look at that, I think, while that person was doing it, they were pouring everything that they had into that. And it shows. That's what he does for us. He gives us every opportunity, every day, for one more. The reality is, though, is if that vessel, which is a ditch, and like I said, I'm, I'm weird. I like, I like pretty-looking ditches. If that ditch does its job and it makes water travel from point A to point B, it really doesn't matter how elaborate the dirt work was. It just needs to, to serve its purpose. Um, and when we talk about the potter's hand, and um, it's up here, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna reference it. But um, as as we talk about the the clay, the dirt that was in the potter's hand, the one thing that we have to know is that that clay was still moldable, even though it was marred. That clay was still moldable as long as it was in the potter's hand. The only way that we will be found in the potter's hand is if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And we've allowed him to come and take over. That's the only way that we're allowed to be molded. And if we do that, the most wonderful job in the world of being a vessel, being a ditch, being a cup, being whatever that is, to carry the word and the good news of of God and his love from point A to point B, just like that ditch does, we're still available to be used and molded and moved and changed each and every day. It's whenever we want to get comfortable. It's whenever we want to tell Moses, hey, you go do the bidding for me because I really don't want to get too close. He might change me a little bit more. That's when we're about to set up. That's when we're about to be past the point of no return. So just evaluate your life today. In your life, are you still on the on the potter's wheel? Is he spinning you around? Is he molding you? Is he making you? Or are you trying to be as comfortable as you can and trying to set up as hard and as rigid as you can? Are you being used by him? 
Are you exemplifying him? Because the one thing that I know is what worship is, is not what Jamie does. Jamie's part is a big part of worship. But worship is every day. And worship is whenever we, as a whole, point everyone that we see, everyone that we stand next to, back to him. And that worship, that act of gratitude, the act of saying that, God, you're worthy of everything that I have, is the one thing that we have to give him. So I'm going to ask Jamie to get ready to come up here, and I've got a quick video to show you to describe who this king is. And we've heard it, we've seen it. Brother John used it once or twice um, 10 or 15 years ago. I'm, I'm sure at least 10 or 15 years ago because it's been there too since I've been here. Um, and it's been around for a long time, but I feel like I don't do justice to what, uh, what this guy does. And this guy doesn't do justice to who God is. But the title of this is, uh, Do You Know My King? And so as he exemplifies who our king is, um, following that is going to be when Jamie sings just one verse. And you can use the altar now while he's saying this. Uh, you can use the altar while Jamie's uh, singing, whatever, whatever works. But if today is the day that you know you don't know my king, if something stirs you up in this and you want to know my king, come down to the altar and let's talk. Or somebody in your, in your pew there. Uh, but let today be the day that you know uh, the king that I serve.